Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Amplify Your Business. Today, I am joined by Ryan Malloy. He is the managing director of a company called Liquid Software Corporation, but he has a background in all things not software, actually. Uh, and so this entrepreneur has done a whole pile of things, and I'm so excited to hear his backstory and then get into how he pivoted into the software industry. So welcome to the show, Ryan. I appreciate you coming on today. Hey, thanks very much for having me. I uh, really appreciate it. And I, I had to reschedule on you once and I, I absolutely appreciate your flexibility. So <laughs> not, not a problem at all. And so let's start off the top of the show here with a question I often ask our guests. And that is, if you could give any advice to an entrepreneur, what would be the three things that you think that entrepreneurs really need to know? That is... Uh... That is a tough one. Uh, I, I hope I uh, I hope I can answer that aptly and not uh, not make a fool of myself as compared to your other guests. But um, you know, I'd have to say, uh, you know, having good legal and accounting support and and influence and advice is is a really important one that I think a lot of entrepreneurs unfortunately learn a little too late. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know. Good contracts are, are massively important. I was introduced to a to a catchphrase many years ago that I've repeated countless times because I just I find it to be incredibly actionable advice. But uh, good paper, good friends. Mm. So uh, if your if your contracts are apt, then uh, then things roll out. Everyone knows where they stand ahead of time, and uh, it seems like that avoids a lot of pitfalls if you're able to to have that working for you before it's a problem. So so that would definitely be, a great one. be the yep. first one. Uh, you know, another another I guess tip that I've seen a lot of a lot of guys get in trouble with over the years is just uh, keeping your overhead low. Mm. You know, uh, Alberta can be an unpredictable place to do business at times, and uh, you know, having having big bills can really affect how you operate the business and affect your ability to be uh, operably mobile at times. So, so yeah, managing overheads definitely one that's on the top of my mind all the time. Yeah. And uh, and I guess the last one I would say is uh, something I've been lucky lucky to avoid over the years, but just uh, you know don't bite off more than you can chew. Mm -hmm. It is uh, it is incredibly tough to uh, settle down a customer after you've overpromised and underdelivered. Uh, you're often much better off uh, delaying or, or or saying no out of the gate and uh, and keep preserving that relationship and you know having that opportunity again potentially. So I, I guess that would uh, off the cuff. That's that's as good as I can get to uh, to answer that one. Yeah, no, I really like all three of them. I think those are really well thought out. And um, just digging into that last one a little bit, because I know this is a problem for a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the early days of their business startups, right? Because you're just trying to survive. You're trying to get whatever, uh, you know, sale you can get. You're, you're eating what you're killing, literally. And so you got to get out there and kill. And so sometimes there is that tendency for the overpromise. Um, how did you manage that? Uh, is this something that you had really good advice going into your entrepreneurial journeys or is this something that you had to learn the hard way? You know, maybe a little bit of both. Um, yeah. You know, my, my previous background uh, was in uh, like the industrial construction landscape. Um, that's a pretty unforgiving environment. Uh, a lot of times those, those projects, you know, can be, can be high dollar and uh, doing something wrong in a high dollar environment, uh, you know, has, 
often some mistakes that especially new businesses might have a, a tough time surviving, you know, mistakes in that arena. So that was, that was one, I think, because so many of our, uh, our early years were kind of working with, with higher dollar projects that had us be, uh, you know, be reluctant to uh, test the depth of the water with both feet as, as they say. Mm-hmm. So that's one that it's like as tough as it is to turn something down, if you don't think you're going to do a good job of it, you know, if, if you do turn it down, you're, you're, you have a really good chance of preserving that relationship and getting another chance. Yeah. Uh, especially if you're, you know, depending on the nature of the business, uh, that, that original landscape was, you know, you're selling consumables and commodity items. So oftentimes those, those guys would need that stuff again. You know, uh, if you're kind of in a, in a, in a one and done selling environment, it's even harder to, uh, to meter yourself, but maybe it's even more important. Yeah, 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 exactly. So now tell me a little bit about Liquid Software Corporation. What problems are you guys trying to solve over there? Well, that's a great question. So overall, we, we just find, you know, we're, we're here to provide business owners with state-of-the-art digital tools so they can extract more money from their business. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the business landscapes in Alberta, especially, we have so many different marketplaces at, at play and all converging. And, um, you know, a lot of businesses need some flexibility. You know, guys are pivoting, uh, you know, taking on different products or different services and so on. And uh, a lot of the legacy software platforms that people are using aren't very flexible. Um, we really we work with a lot of companies where, you know, they've been using something for 10 years plus or even longer. And, you know, just the, the advancement in technology has been drastic in that period of time. Uh, you know, through COVID and so on, especially people really saw the benefits of, of cloud-based applications. It's really, you know, that whole period advanced the, uh, the usership of cloud-based applications, probably 10 years. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Bill Gates made a lot of money off of, uh, RDP server licenses over the last few years. And, uh, and it's tough. Like when you're, when, when guys are using servers and, and remote desktop applications, you're expecting a whole bunch of computers to all work very well all the time. And that's, uh, you know, that might be a, a tall order. And uh, so we really find that uh, that people want cloud-based applications. They want flexibility. They want user friendliness. And a lot of that old, a lot of that old architecture stuff, where you're you're pressing F9 to search this. That just uh, people have outgrown it. And, and you know the 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 workforce is getting younger and younger. And uh, you know our clients want something that they can train new people with if need be. Yeah. Uh, also hand things off like that's something that that you know in addition to the software that a business use you know they they often layer in years of internal practices and excel sheets and just a lot of kind of non-integrated arm's length things that that that's what it takes to run the business and and make sure all the i's are dotted and uh and that's that's tedious it, it often leaves a lot to memory and that's yeah. the kind of thing that you know, if uh, if Johnny didn't take care of that extra sheet properly, that maybe things don't get filled out properly. And uh, that's the kind of things that can keep business owners awake at night or their staff. Uh, as soon as things are, are left to memory or as soon as they're not, it, it can it can be a real quality of life improvement, uh, knowing that things are centralized in, in such a way that if someone's sick or someone's away, that everything's all in one place uh, and that that staff are doing things the same way every time. Yeah. And that's something that uh, that that repeatable functionality is something that 
Um, you know, in, unless you're in a structured environment and you have a software application that, that supports that and, and maybe requires it, uh, that's something that, uh, that, you know, in the absence of that, there's a lot of different strokes for different folks. And that's how people end up rooting through their coworkers desk when they're on vacation or, or are sick for a day or a week. So, so, uh, our structure really supports that it puts everything in one place. Um, the, the overall framework of our application is based around ISO 9000 protocols, which, uh, for anyone that, uh, that wants to get an ISO designation, we make that really, really easy. And uh, we we found that 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 those protocols work really well for a lot of other businesses. So something that we uh, we didn't really expect to get into uh, early on is the aviation aerospace industry, oh, and wow. that was one that as as we were introduced to some companies in that segment, um, the the Transport Canada or uh, D and D regulations. If people are working with military aircraft, uh, those regulations are very steep and as unforgiving as we would all hope they are. Yeah. And uh, the just the the stringent inspection guidelines and so on that are put on companies in that space is difficult to manage. And uh, by by having a, a framework based around those ISO protocols, it actually fit the mold incredibly well. Hmm. And uh, having everything be done the same way every time and the necessary information centralized so everyone can, can access it when, uh, when they need to, is really kind of some foundational principles of ISO 9000. So uh, kind of by using that as the building blocks, we found that that's kind of steering us into some some tougher uh, environments. And, and we really like that. We, uh, you know, we, we kind of thrive when, uh, when, you know, someone's business environment is not super easy to navigate. You know, we find that that as a barrier of entry is, is creating a nice swim lane for us. And uh, yeah, we're we're excited to expand into more marketplaces like that where they're yeah. tougher tougher to do business. Well, and and really exciting times because, like you said, uh, this uh, COVID you know uh, two three years really accelerated the need for businesses to shift to the cloud as their workforce needed to shift to working from home or other types of environments. And so the need for this is not going to get less. That's for sure. Uh, definitely the writing was on the wall that that was the direction that most businesses needed to go with their ERPs. And now, you know, they just kind of got forced into it. And so you guys were positioned in a ideal situation, I would think for that. And so one of the things that I really liked about what you were telling me before we hit the record button was just how you've really built your platform to be really adaptable and to integrate with a tool such as QuickBooks online, um, as a, as a piece of software that you didn't have to go through all that development time to build out some of the feature set that that comes with. And instead you just integrate with it and then build around that as a little bit of a base um, as well. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. And I, I would think that that kind of approach is somewhat novel in the development world because uh, most developers I know, they, they all kind of want to just build their own thing, but you come at it not from that development background. And so you you weren't a developer. You don't have those preconceived notions as to what should be done. You're looking at it more from a business standpoint, going, well, what's what makes the most sense for our customers and also for our business that we're trying to grow? So I, I love that approach that you're doing. You know, we found that, uh, and I've got a lot of background working with QuickBooks for many years, ran multiple businesses on it years ago and so on. Um, 
and it's it's not difficult to outgrow QuickBooks. And a lot of companies outgrow QuickBooks and then still use it for five or seven years and yeah. Uh, yeah. and develop a bunch of you know non-integrated tips and tricks to kind of fill in those gaps. And so that we really saw that as an opportunity, especially as as uh, QuickBooks continue to develop their online platform. It is very different than the the QuickBooks desktop that many people have uh, come to know and love over the years. Uh, it's really a different program entirely. Uh, so what we find is that as people, you know, either move to or look at moving towards QuickBooks Online, they kind of get stuck because it into its own uh, estimation, um, QuickBooks Online does about 40 to 60% of what their top tier product QuickBooks Enterprise does. Hmm. Uh, and then, you know, probably in the 60% of what, uh, of what their other desktop uh, Premier and Pro products do. So that really does, as, as they scale back some of their functionality, that just inherently creates a swim lane for us to, to fill in that gap. And, uh, and at the same time, what they, the stuff they did focus on is really good. So QuickBooks Online is an excellent tool for you know, doing your bank reconciliations. They API into almost every different bank in North America. So your, your transactions just get pulled into the system uh, automatically through integration. They're, it's incredible at payroll and at uh, some government remittance functions. Um, so those being so good for us to kind of build out a front end application that'll let customers handle their sales and inventory, um, you know, quality assurance and a few other important things. Uh, it, it's a really nice fit that we're able to kind of leverage. You know, it's there. I think in North America, there's over 100,000 businesses or maybe that's just in Canada running QuickBooks online. So the, the usership is off the charts. And, uh, you know, we know that there's a, a nice big subsect in there of people that have outgrown it and are kind of just bootstrapping it along, wishing there was a better way to do some of their functions. So, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that this is, uh, again, just a testament to your approach uh, from, you know, an outside guy looking into the software development world. Um, and I know you have some experience. You had mentioned before that you guys had to kind of build your own system uh, in a previous business that you had in the oil field services industry. And so uh, that got your feet into this industry. And then obviously uh, you're just excelling after that. So uh, really cool stuff. Now, speaking of your entrepreneurial history, you're, you're a bit of a serial entrepreneur. You've done a lot of different things. Um, this is the latest of those, but you still have your hands in a few other ventures as well simultaneously. And I'm just curious, for you know, people out there who are struggling just managing one business and really trying to to focus on the growth there, how do you manage to juggle so many different ventures simultaneously and in very different industries? They're they're not even industry adjacent. Uh, some of it trucking versus software, right? So I'm curious how you'd respond to that. Uh, you know, that's a good question. It was funny that was kind of the need for for you know good tools to help manage unique businesses um that's probably a, a good example of why we built liquid out to be so flexible hmm. um and you know so and, and you know one way I, I do that is all my businesses run liquid and i find that uh, you know the cross entity reporting and some of the other features that you know funneling work so it gets done the same way every time that kind of lets me you know, leverage different management groups to, to be able to do more uh, in a repeatable way. So that was something that, uh, that 
you know, I, I knew a long time ago that I was going to need some help, uh, you know, from a, from a technology standpoint, if I was going to continue to do that. And, um, so, so that's, that's definitely one, one tool we leverage, um, you know, overall, you know, we really believe in, uh, you know, in strong management groups and, in, and for the most part, in also including those management groups as shareholders, that's something that mm -hmm. we've done in a lot of different businesses. And, uh, you know, that, that always tends to really pay back. Um, you know, you end up with a, with a dedicated workforce, you know, we, we've got always have had very low turnover. And uh, that really helps is, you know, as we've got dedicated people that are, you know, get more and more experienced every year that uh, that could take a lot of the load off off myself as a shareholder and a director. And uh, and so that's that's a recipe I'll definitely continue with as uh, as the career continues. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to probe into that a little bit more in terms of the shareholder aspect of it um, and really having those employees bought in. Um, so is that something that when you're setting up the business? And, and installing that management group initially that you're putting that offer on the table? Or is it something that you, you might start the business and then um, you start to, you know, pull the, the people who are the performers within the business into the shareholder group? I'm guessing that it might be a little bit of both, but uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on what is the best approach there or what has worked best for you anyway. Definitely a little bit of both. Um, you know, some of the older businesses uh, in my portfolio, uh, you know, kind of, you know, require the need to to pivot and uh, and open up uh, some shareholding opportunities for for uh, qualified uh, people. Uh, I definitely on any new businesses, I absolutely include an ESOP component in any cap table. Um, I just find that that's you know, that's definitely the language of the marketplace in, in Alberta, especially, you know, people are, you know, they've been told for a long time that you want to own a business and that's how you get ahead. And, and so a lot of people are, you know, can be relatively fixated on that. And, uh, you know, I've seen guys take terrible deals because they felt as though that that had this ownership component that, you know, that they saw as really valuable. And, uh, you know, the, the oil patch, especially, I do have a kind of background in the energy sector and, and there's so many horror stories of the guys that were supposed to have shares and then it evaporated on them or, or mm -hmm. bad things happened. So, um, you know, we really, I find it, it, it pays back substantially to not only, you know, look to look for opportunities to include people, but also educate them onto like, what's a good deal or a bad deal. So mm -hmm. something that, uh, that I, I spent some time with, uh, kind of in early 2020, as we were all locked down, uh, was uh, creating kind of a master uh, unanimous shareholder agreement that I applied to every business I was a, I was a party to. Hmm. And uh, that was really nice to kind of like level the playing field and ensure, you know, I, I'd been involved in different businesses over the years and some of those agreements were better than others. And some had elements that were really good and really two-sided. And then you flip the page and it had some crazy stuff in there. So I thought that, you know, just the concept by and large of having a master agreement that I would be happy to sign as a, as a major partner or a minor partner or an equal partner. Uh, so that's something that, that we put in place and it's been really good. And, and by having that kind of as a baseline, um, you know, that, that lets us, you know, plug people in that have been with a company for a while and also kind of have a, a vehicle and a method for, you know, if there's someone that's a rising star to, to give them a path to some ownership. Yeah. 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 And I'd imagine 
like you said, I mean, it just really creates that commitment, but then also allows them to uh, just feel like there's more to what they're doing, right? The, and uh, and you can extract a little bit better, uh, you know, ownership thinking, entrepreneurial thinking out of them as well. I, I think it really makes a big difference in just the way that the employee addresses things on a day-to-day basis too, right? Absolutely. Especially, you know, some low-hanging fruit there is just various cost control methods. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the the idea is if you can have partners that think like owners, uh, they, they spend money, they spend corporate dollars a lot differently yeah. uh, when when there's a direct correlation to their year-end dividends. Yeah. So that's something that, uh, you know, that, that every business can really benefit from, in my opinion. Uh, and then also, you know, as it gets down to the individual, you know, there, there's some tax advantages to, to having an opportunity at dividends and things like that. So, yeah. um, you know, the idea that uh, the guys can potentially put a little more in their jeans and, uh, you know, feel like a, a, a bigger part, you know, to, to own a, a little bit less of something much bigger or something much more stable. Uh, that's I'll take that deal every time. Yeah. Yeah. So now I'm curious because this is your latest venture, but you, like we've been talking, you've had quite a few before and and still involved with many. Um, What is easier this time around with this business versus some of the previous businesses or your earlier, I I guess, you know, ventures that you had started or had been involved with? What's gotten easier? That's a great question. Um, it's a lot easier dealing with banks nowadays. Um, so yeah, that's something yeah. that, uh, you know, it, it's just been a, a byproduct of some good fortune. Uh, so that's something that's been, uh, been you know, a substantial shift uh, this time around versus uh, you started my first company when I was 25. And mm-hmm. uh, that was, you know, just having some gray hair and having been around a little while that uh, that helps. Uh, you know, really had to kind of fight a lot of stigma early on in my career, uh, just kind of being a lot younger than a lot of the contemporaries. And, and that that original industry we broke into, basically, I guess, you know, not like the software industry, I kind of like to be the little guy competing with, you know, billion dollar corporations. Um, you know, I, I do find that those, although it's daunting to compete with the biggest companies, um, those are often the guys that leave the most on the table in terms of the things that, uh, that their customers aren't getting. Yeah. Uh, so that, that that's been, uh, you know, that's something that we kind of seem to keep running into, but, um, you know, just, just kind of understanding some of the, some of the framework and, you know, the idea of like having a path to ownership for new employees, including people out of the gate, things like that, you know, just different, uh, you know, structure based, uh, elements and, and strategies really help it. It's nice to kind of have a roadmap for that, that you can kind of just plug and play and, and roll into the next venture. So that that's definitely helped. Um, yeah, I'd say that's the biggest one, just having, having partners to rely on and, and having, having kind of defined roles and responsibilities, you know, oftentimes, you know, with the new business, it takes years for those things to kind of take shape. And there could be a lot of, uh, a lot of arguments and, and so on uh, before you get there. So having, having a lot of that kind of experience under my belt has definitely, uh, it's definitely helped me kind of position new ventures into, uh, into something that could be successful early on and, and with a little less uh, pain. I'm curious now with all of the success that you've had, I mean, you had a, a big exit and one of the 
the oil field industry businesses that you had and, and uh, you know, lots of different ventures under your belt. So what does success look like to you now? How do you, you know, I, I guess define success for you having already experienced a bunch of it already? Hmm. That's a, that's a good question. Um, yeah, you know, like I, I probably wouldn't put a dollar sign to it, uh, and to keep it just that simple, you know, yeah. overall, I really, I really appreciate this industry. And that was something that, um, you know, kind of in, in some of my past ventures, uh, you know, you, you are, are going after the same business relatively all the time. And you might have a, you know, it might be a crowded marketplace, but you're in there competing for similar orders all the time, every time. And yeah. some you win and, and some you don't. Um, you know, what I really like about this industry is that you work with clients long term. And yeah. it's not a, you know, it's a collaborative environment, not a competitive environment. Once they once they've signed the deal and, and we've onboarded them, uh, it's it's about how we do more for them and how we work together. And it's it's been really rewarding. Um, especially once, you know, once someone has, you know, that their business can reap the benefits of the things we've built, that is, is really satisfying. Yeah. I bet. So, uh, you know, watching this company grow has been, has been, you know, a joy. I, I really appreciate the people I work with and so on. So, you know, if we were able to build this thing out to be, uh, just a little bit bigger, I would, I would definitely, that would meet the mark of success for me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool. So if you could write your younger entrepreneurial self a letter, so maybe the 25 year old that started the uh, oil field services business, uh, or maybe it's a different point in time, what would be in that letter? What would you say to yourself? Hmm. That's a good question too. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, I would, uh, I didn't, I, I didn't go to university. So that was one that you'd see that as, as my career's grown and so on, um, you know, an MBA might have been nice. It might have, uh, it, even if it didn't open some doors, it would uh, it would stop them from slamming shut in some cases potentially. Yeah. So, uh, you know, er, earlier on, I didn't I didn't much believe in uh, you know higher education or so on. I just felt that there were so many people that you know had degrees they didn't use, and and that was kind of a stigma that uh, that kind of had me follow a certain path. So, you know, considering an MBA or an accounting designation. You know, that's something that uh, that, you know, might have uh, might have, you know, kind of added uh, uh, some rungs to the success ladder. Um, you know, not not putting so much pressure on yourself. Sometimes it's, uh, you know, it's easy to uh, to think you're not doing enough and so on. And, and sometimes that can make it, it hard to relax. So uh, yeah. finding uh, finding that that, you know, and I think the term balance is often, you know, overused, but you know, just having the ability to, uh, to shut off work and not feel guilty about doing that. And yeah. that, that's something that took a long time to, uh, to be able to kind of hone that skill in. So that might've been, that might've been one that the younger self could, could use, uh, read more. That's one that, you know, I really didn't start reading much until probably the last five years. And I, I really could have benefited from a lot of that knowledge earlier on. So, uh, so that I guess if I had to boil it down to one piece of advice, it probably would have been read more. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So just on that topic, what books have you been reading that you really have liked over the last few years? I, uh, I, 
um, Blue Ocean Strategy was one of my yeah. favorites. Yeah. Um, uh, an, an author and online personality I follow closely uh, wrote a great book that came out last year, a year and a half ago, called um, called uh, Your Next Five Moves. Hmm. Uh, author's name is Patrick Beth David. Uh, that is an excellent book. I uh, read that twice, actually. It was uh, it was a relatively easy read, but but yeah. a lot of the knowledge in there wasn't wasn't as obvious as uh, as maybe I would have liked. So it, it, I read a lot of the a lot of it twice. Um, so th- those were really good. Um, Bureaucrats to Barbarians was a great one. That was yeah, one I that I uh, uh, that that one's excellent. And that's a really quick read. It's just the language is great. It's uh, it's not that thick. But man, was that relevant! Like the whole book was relevant, hmm. and that that one really goes into uh, you know that that businesses themselves kind of had stages that they go through, uh, often led by different kind of personality types, and that those personality types often kind of will dictate the the period that that business is in, and uh, different growth models will kind of go through different periods at different times, but they they kind of all exist in the life cycle of a business. And, uh, and it was really interesting. It kind of ties in the personalities to the, to the phase the business is in. And it was, it really rang true for me. I thought that was, I've given that book away as a gift a handful of times, uh, since reading it for the first time. And it's, it's probably top of my, uh, top of my list to recommend. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I know the audience is probably appreciating, uh, you know, just hearing a few of these ones that you've gotten some some insights from, because like I said, I mean, you've found a lot of success. You're doing a lot of really cool things there. And so we as other entrepreneurs want to learn from that. Right. And so uh, it all starts with the education process, whether that's listening and having conversations like this or reading books or getting exposed to different opportunities and different ideas in a different format. So thank you very much for sharing that as well as your entrepreneurial journey. I really appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you very much for having me. So if anybody wanted to connect with you, uh, what would be the best way for them to do so? Uh, You know, probably through LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, uh, Ryan M. Malloy at Twitter is my Twitter handle. uh, or our, our website, thinkliquid.ca. Okay, perfect. Well, everybody, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to check out some of our archives, head over to amplifyyourbusiness.ca. That's where you're going to find them all, as well as searching on your favorite podcasting platform, Amplify Your Business, and you should be able to find us there as well. So thank you very much again, Ryan. I really appreciate you sharing your insights. And for everybody out there today, I hope you have a prosperous day and we'll catch you in the next episode.